0: It's Thursday, January 19th, and it's not just soldiers dying in Ukraine. We start here. For the first time in this war, a Ukrainian cabinet member is killed as a helicopter goes down. That helicopter coming down, right on top of a kindergarten. This is just one of multiple tragedies this week. We'll take you there. The vibe in an office gets weird after layoffs. Now imagine your company just made 10,000 of them.
1: Is there something that these big tech companies know that maybe other companies don't?
0: What tech troubles can predict about the larger economy. And as an arrest for political violence rocks New Mexico, a new attorney
2: general has taken office. We are past the point where we can keep giving advisory opinions we need to start having real enforcement powers. But he says that's not the case that's going
0: to define his term. From ABC News, this is Start Here. I'm Brad Milky. Russia invaded Ukraine last year. It was counted as a victory that Ukraine's leaders weren't immediately killed. Like, that was a legitimate concern that President Vladimir Zelensky and his cabinet ministers would just be assassinated. Not only did they not lose those top leaders, though, they managed a big counteroffensive, took huge swaths of their country back, and have been so resilient that Zelensky has been able to safely go to places like Washington, D.C. to ask for
3: help. Because we really fight for our common victory against this tyranny
0: and yet it was yesterday, 11 months into this war, that Ukraine lost its first cabinet minister as a helicopter crashed down with much of the interior ministry inside. ABC's Matt Gutman is on the ground in what's been a devastating week for the Ukrainians, actually. Matt, first of all, can you just walk us through this crash? Was it an accident or was it a Russian attack of some sort?
3: We don't know at this point, Brad. Um Ukraine says it's investigating, it says it's investigating uh, mechanical error, possible pilot failure, foul play. What we do know is that 14 people were killed, including a child, that helicopter coming down right on top of a kindergarten. So 11 kids were wounded. Um, And when you see the images of the aftermath, it is really horrifying. The jet fuel was just scattered across this courtyard and across these buildings, incinerating everything. And as you mentioned, the entire top echelon of the interior minister was wiped out. The state state secretary, the deputy minister, the minister himself, who was a confidant and friend of President Zelensky. And it came right after this missile obliterated a building in Dnipro. So this has been a really bad week for Ukraine.
2: 10 hours ago, a tragedy happened near Kiev.
3: President Zelensky declaring uh, three days of mourning in Kiev, um, and President Zelensky asking for a minute of silence in Davos, where he spoke.
0: When you mentioned earlier another really deadly incident, again, not on the front lines. This was in the city of Dnipro, where you are now, Matt, and this was a Russian missile attack that looked like it targeted civilians. So at this point, is it possible for Ukraine to be in a better spot than it was a few months ago and still for civilians there to feel more at risk than ever.
3: Yes, the two things can be true at once, Brad. This entire courtyard has been turned into a moonscape. Crushed cars, garbage cans flung like they were little toys. That missile, basically the size of a school bus, right? 38 feet tall, uh, 13,000 pounds nearly. It packed such a massive punch with a 1,000 pound warhead um, that it obliterated an entire apartment block. 72 units incinerated, 200 completely destroyed, nearly 50 people dead at this point. We saw firefighters in cranes lifted up, clawing at the rubble, trying to find someone alive, and they did about 20 hours after the missile struck but it quickly uh, turned into a recovery mission. It definitely gives Ukrainians this sense of insecurity. What is it like to come back to your childhood home and Um, see it like this? Seriously, you know, like, I don't know, like, I'm still, I I don't understand, this is like, this is real. They seem to be doing well militarily on the front or at least holding the Russians at bay, but they are so vulnerable at home. People think about where to sleep and how to orient themselves in their bedrooms so if a missile does come crashing into their building, they're not sprayed with glass or shards of metal as they sleep. Like they think about this every day. Do you know the difference between all the different kinds of incoming and outgoing and what they sound like? It's. One of the reasons that they're so desperate for these Patriot defense missile systems, right? If they can have this protective umbrella over them, they can literally sleep better at night.
0: And when we talk about the vulnerability, Matt, like you've been reporting on, it's interesting that it was the interior minister who died in this crash, because you specifically been reporting on the vulnerability of the infrastructure
3: in Ukraine right now, the risks that lay ahead for that country. I mean, what have you been finding? We visited this power plant, a coal-powered plant that had been hit 12 times over the past six months. How much of the time is spent by your workers fixing what the Russians destroyed? The manager of the plant took us out and their yard is littered with craters. Not a single pane of glass in this 450 yard long power plant remains, right? Everything's been blown in. So the missiles destroyed all of this glass. No window, protected uh, uh, wood wood Yeah. The control room has sandbags against the windows and plywood, and they have flak jackets in there. Hmm. And they're just trying to literally stay alive. They consider themselves the warriors on the electricity front. None of the workers have said I'm afraid I need to quit. I'm old. No. Because if the power goes out, the rest of the country, and there are rolling blackouts every single day in every single city. But if it goes out completely, morale in this country is going to plummet. And this country cannot afford that, certainly not in the depths of midwinter, which is another reason that they're so desperate for some sort of missile defense system that would provide a shield over critical infrastructure and cities um, to enable them to continue to fight on the front against the actual Russian troops. Yeah, and like you said, the fact that
0: Ukraine can have so many wins on the battlefield on the front, and yet civilians and civilian areas are so at risk. Like that, that is the strategy of Russia right now, is just to decimate civilian-held areas and civilian infrastructure. Uh, Matt Gutman, in Dnipro, stay safe, and thank you. Thanks, Brad. Next up on Start Here, I thought you were supposed to fire people on a Friday, but maybe the rules change when you're firing 10,000 employees. That's after the break. With daylight saving time upon us, we're looking forward to more daylight and longer days from March through November. And while setting our clocks forward gives us the illusion of more time, it doesn't necessarily help businesses find qualified candidates any sooner. Fear not, there is a solution. ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter's your 24-7 hiring partner, working tirelessly to connect you with the right candidate. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, it gets distributed to over 100 job sites, ensuring you reach a diverse pool of qualified individuals. Their smart technology scans thousands of resumes, matching you with people whose skills perfectly align with your job requirements. Spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why 4 out of 5 employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash start here. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash start here. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Every report about jobs lately has seemed to signal that while prices are high in this country, jobs have largely been pretty safe. Good news, right? Well, it wasn't good news at the offices of Microsoft yesterday when one of the biggest employers on Earth laid off 10,000 workers. ABC's Elizabeth Schulze covers the economy. Elizabeth, that's a big round number. 10,000 people? How bad are things for Microsoft?
1: 10,000 is a big number, Brad, and Microsoft is the latest big tech company to announce this huge cut to its workforce. It changed overnight. I've been through other acquisitions. I've never seen anything like this. Just in the past few months, we've seen Amazon, Facebook, Salesforce. The list really goes on here. Microsoft laying off 10,000 workers. Sounds like a lot. When it comes to a company this big, though, Brad, Microsoft points out it's still about less than 5% of its total workforce. The company has hired 75,000 workers just since 2019. So a lot of what's happening here is these big tech companies have been going on a hiring spree.
0: With people working at home, people have had to adopt new technologies. Those new technologies are not ones that are necessarily going to be dropped when we go back to the office.
1: This was accelerated by the pandemic when there was this so-called digital transformation, a lot of people moving their lives online, moving their work online. And they had to make up for this increased demand by hiring on more workers. What's likely
0: to be uh, a a more incrementally challenging period in demand uh, from the macro economy versus the last two years.
1: Now those companies coming back down to earth a little bit. As one tech analyst put it to me, the clock has struck midnight here on this hyper growth stage for these big tech companies.
0: Well, this is what's confusing to me, though, Elizabeth. Like, we keep hearing about a potential recession. We keep hearing about, you know, inflation causing companies to, like, start shedding workers. But most people, in fact, are not getting laid off. So in what world is Microsoft hurting or a big tech company hurting but the employees at, like, my local retailer, my shoe store, like, yeah, everything's pretty normal
1: for us? Right. So I think there's a couple of important things to keep in mind here. The overall data, you're absolutely right, does not show A huge surge in unemployment does not show jobs getting lost at a massive scale in the United States. In fact, we are still adding jobs. 200,000 jobs were added to the workforce as of December. That was across industries, healthcare, retail, manufacturing. We saw more job gains. And a lot of businesses are still struggling, in fact, to find enough workers.
0: I got here, the ropes were up,
1: there was no personnel to help me. No Southwest people greeted me no security person greeted me there is a labor shortage for a lot of businesses some of what could be happening with tech brad is that a lot of those workers are high skilled so when they get laid off they can find other jobs really quickly so they might actually never show up in the unemployment data in fact you know one report i was reading actually shows that 80 percent of tech workers who were laid off they got a new job within three months of starting their search again so they were quickly able to find something else they found other sectors that were hiring they used those skills Either in other tech jobs or in other industries,
0: we are seeing tech become a little bit less techy and traditional companies become a little bit more techy. So. These tech workers are finding roles often in more traditional industries
1: and then you have this considered. kind of question about is there something that these big tech companies know that maybe other companies don't mm. and this is where it gets a little bit more confusing because we saw in this memo from microsoft the ceo Satya Nadella said some parts of the world are already in a recession or anticipating one and this is one of the key reasons behind these layoffs and we keep talking about a recession, we keep hearing about a recession, companies are warning about a recession, but so far that's not shown up in the data, you wonder if maybe what these companies are seeing when it comes to the trends from consumers is already kind of on that path toward a gloomier outlook. And Amazon's an example where they had said that higher inflation was actually digging into their sales already, that they've seen evidence that this these high prices that Americans and, and people around the world, frankly, have had to pay over the past year or two, that it's really is starting to take a hit on their spending.
0: Oh, So like in the modern economy, you maybe shave off some dollars off your Amazon purchases before you start changing your entire life around. But it could be on the way that that is what we start seeing.
1: That's right. In the same way that decades ago, big industrial companies were kind of the indicator of the state of the economy, in today's world, some of these tech companies really are seen as a bellwether. Amazon is not just a tech company. It's where a lot of people make their day-to-day purchases. They do a lot of their shopping. It's a retail company in a lot of ways. Microsoft is not just a tech company. It's where a lot of businesses do their operations. Enterprises use the cloud, for example. These are massive companies, the biggest companies in the world. So if they're saying they're seeing a slowdown in demand, it is worth listening to because they have a pulse on a lot of consumers and a lot of smaller businesses that might start to feel these effects that they're already feeling at that higher level.
0: Yeah. And then there's the stuff that's clearly just tech companies, right? Like Twitter is auctioning off all of this stuff from its offices right now, like espresso machines and all these like neon bird lights and things like things only a tech company we work type space would have needed in the last 10 years. All right. Elizabeth Schulze, thanks
1: so much. Thanks so much, Brad.
0: In the last couple years, we've seen a new type of prosecutor arrive on the scene in more progressive areas. We have to look at how we as law enforcement, including that, can build trust, heal the divide. From local district attorneys to state attorneys general, there is a whole movement of more progressive prosecutors that want to focus on civil rights, just as much as the traditional cops and robbers and drug arrests type of cases.
1: We were using jail as the remedy for every single problem. And I just said I didn't want to do that any longer.
0: New Mexico just got a new attorney general. His name is Raul Torres. He's a Democrat, and he's actually pushing this idea in a different direction, not just focusing on civil rights, but specifically on the civil rights of children. So what does that mean? And what does it mean in the state where politics are very fractured right now? Raul Torres joins us right now. First off, Attorney General, can we talk about the news this week that a man was charged for arranging shootings at Democratic lawmakers' homes and offices? Police have said that there were gunshots near your campaign offices recently. This guy wasn't charged for that. But do you think your offices was one of the targets here? And what's been your reaction to this arrest
2: so so you know the the first thing is I, i think it's it's unconscionable that um we have gotten to a place in society where this conspiratorial and overheated and violent political rhetoric has led people to this place where um political violence is becoming more commonplace the one good piece of information at least for me personally is that in conversations with local law enforcement, it appears that the shooting near my campaign offices is unrelated uh, to this particular individual and, and the conspiracy that he was leading. That said, I think we are all a lot more mindful of the new security considerations that we have. And I'm actually working with the Secretary of State to see if we can provide additional security over the personal information of people who run for elected office I think we, we just can't ignore the reality anymore. But, but really what I, what I hope this will inspire in not just elected officials but in the public at large is a dialing back of the rhetoric. We have to break this cycle where we start thinking about, of our political opponents as, as enemies.
0: Wow. Well, glad you're okay. And, of course, now you're, you're the top prosecutor in the state, so I'm sure we'll be hearing from you more on this. Yeah. Um, can we talk about sort of your priorities coming into this administration? You took over on January 1st. Every state has some form of child protective services and child welfare. You're talking about, though, kind of expanding our view of child protection. What do you mean?
2: You hit it right on. We, we are very focused in this first legislative session on creating a new division within the attorney general's office. It's actually modeled after something that uh, Vice President Kamala Harris established in California several years ago, and it focuses on providing the highest quality legal counsel that we can provide for the most vulnerable citizens. And that, unfortunately, in the state of New Mexico, are at-risk children. State police!
1: Disturbing lapel video shows the day state police and CYFD paid a visit to this one-story home on...
2: Who are either victims of abuse and neglect.
1: The little girl admitted to them placing them in chains for an alarm
2: to go off, or children who have been denied access to educational equity or educational services, children with disabilities, uh, children who have been incarcerated. And a lot of this actually comes from my time in service as the district attorney in Albuquerque. And I was often asked, what are the root causes of our public safety challenges? Is it drugs? Is it guns? What what really is it? And and my assessment, always brought me back to uh, an understanding that traumatized children um, who are often ignored or neglected or unrepresented in our society, they end up falling through the cracks. They end up in these broken systems and broken homes. And if they don't get the kinds of resources and support that they need earlier in life, they oftentimes end up on a road towards the criminal justice system.
0: Do certain kids fall more in the cracks than others? Like we've heard Native American families in New Mexico say that their kids are often treated differently by authorities.
2: Yeah, and, and it's not just the in the context of investigations of abuse and neglect and what the agency, the state agency here is Children, Youth, and Families Department. But in the public education system, there's been widespread reporting of Native students being subject to Um, excessive discipline in the public school context, They're, they're much more likely to be suspended or expelled. And, you know, that's just another example of these historically marginalized communities that have not had a voice. And in that context, if you are coming from a community that lacks resources, doesn't understand maybe an easy path to navigating a complex system, if you don't have money to hire a private attorney, a lot of times you just don't have the resources to advocate for your children.
0: Well, and here's what I'm wondering, like when it comes to this idea of removing kids from dangerous situations, you're a prosecutor, your toolkit is basically limited to, we can bring cases against people or we can decline to bring cases against other people. So it sounds good to say like, we're gonna protect kids, we're gonna remove them, but does that just mean more kids end up in foster care? Like, is that the best case scenario here?
2: More kids in foster care? Our sole purpose is to represent the interests of children. And that, just, that doesn't just mean by initiating a formal investigation or eventually a potential lawsuit. It also means gathering information. So in New Mexico right now, we've had um, tragically a, a, a long track record of children who are the victims of abuse and neglect. They are temporarily removed from those homes. Then they're placed back into the custody of their you know, caregivers – without proper staffing and support on the part of the agencies that are dedicated or supposed to be focused on protecting them.
3: Four-year-old James Dunkley-Cruz was placed into the care of his mother shortly before he was found dead at an apartment complex
2: in Southeast Albuquerque in December of 2019. And a number of these kids have been abused again, and several of them have actually been killed by their abusers after not one or two ref- you know referrals to um, one of these agencies, but multiple referrals. The suit says ever since the boy was born, CYFD had eight investigations
3: to determine any risk to James. He was never removed from his home.
2: So the, the first thing we need to do is that ensure that we are not placing children in harm's way. And that not only can take the shape of a formal action where we force an agency to have certain protocols in place or policy reevaluations. But we also will have the ability to gather population-level data um, that we can then produce in reports for policymakers, so that they can s- consider what funding changes need to be made, what kind of training protocols need to be established, what kind of um, institutional and structural reforms need to be implemented. We are we are past the point where we can start where we can keep giving advisory opinions. We need to start having real enforcement powers so that we can make these agencies place the interests of children first and foremost and use all of the instruments of government, including being able to go into court to mandate that the interests of these children are paramount and and they must take precedence over over other issues in in the debate about how to allocate resources and things like that.
0: That's interesting that your office could deal with not just individual cases but also kind of enforcement measures that would hold state agencies more accountable uh raul torres attorney general of new mexico for what 19 days now so i know you're busy thank you very much for taking the time with us thank you so
2: much brad i appreciate it
0: all right one more quick break when we come back if someone says you remind them of comic sans that's not a compliment the state department drinks from the font of youth one last thing is next And one last thing. What's your favorite font? You know, like in a document, the font, the typeset. My favorite is Ariel. Someone said it's probably because it's easy to read aloud off a page for a podcast. But in all honesty, I think it's probably because it's the first on most alphabetical lists. The point is, everyone's got their favorite. There's a whole documentary about Helvetica.
1: Other people look at bottles of wine or whatever, or,
3: you know, girls' bottoms. I get kicked out of looking at type. It's a little worrying, I must admit, but it's a very nerdish thing to do. I'm very much a word person. Well, recently, the U.S. State Department
0: told its employees that they should change their font in official communications. Instead of Times New Roman, the face of establishment newspapers for decades, the venerable institution will switch to Calibri. You might know Calibri. It's one of those simple fonts with no fancy serifs, no little hangy things coming off the letters. It's more informal, meaning on the page, Calibri might make official memoranda look like emails.
2: I'm sorry if this comes off
3: as judgmental. But who in their right mind chooses a font other than Times New Roman?
0: Which has apparently set off a mini firestorm within state. Some Foreign Service officers called it a sacrilege, the way an SNL bit once described a huge movie like Avatar putting its title in papyrus font.
3: I don't even think this is literally papyrus. Maybe that was a starting
0: point,
2: but they clearly modified this. But whatever they did, it wasn't enough!
0: But the department said they did not take this decision lightly. In fact, it's a conversation that lots of offices have forced themselves to have in recent years. For one, serif fonts. Remember, those are the ones with a little extra strokes, the extra feet on the bottom, the hanging things on top. They look good in a newspaper, but they're tougher to read on a screen. The New York Times does not even use Times New Roman anymore because everything started seeming too crunched together. Which the State Department says is not just an aesthetics issue, it's an accessibility issue. If someone has a tough time reading, extra spacing helps. Larger font helps. Certain fonts more easily deciphered by screen readers, which read text aloud for those with visual impairments.
3: Sure, give me Calibri font. Just don't give me Comic Sans.
0: Now, the new standard-issue memo from State is supposed to be Calibri, size 14 font. The only issue now with readability is that a three-page document might now be extended to four pages. And what diplomat wants to read that far? everyone has the same reaction to fonts, because you think it's a dumb thing to care about until someone asks you if you like this font or that font. I've now been informed that Ariel is not the favorite on this staff. Apparently it's a couple Calibris, a Tahoma fan in our ranks. If you've got a favorite, let us know on Twitter at StartHereABC. I'm Brad Milky. See you tomorrow. Fontastic.